Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I asked Tom if I could come up here a little earlier today because my message is about 90 minutes long and I didn't want to keep you longer than necessary. No, in all seriousness, today is one of those days I get the privilege of preaching live in both of our services, and so uh, I, look forward, I look forward to those days. So while you're turning to 2 Corinthians 5, I want to ask a really difficult question. It's an important question, but it's a difficult question. What difference does Christ really make in our lives? Uh, when you wake up tomorrow morning and you put on your sneakers and you head out into the week, what difference is it going to make that Jesus Christ is risen and that you are a child of God? Does it make a difference in our lives? You know, the Bible says that the resurrection of Christ and our connection to Christ makes an enormous difference. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ was not risen from the grave, that our faith would be in vain and we would still be in our sins. That means Christ's resurrection makes a difference. Without that, our faith would be vain, empty, meaningless. But because of the resurrection, there's a difference in our lives. Jesus said something similar when he said in John 10, 10, I give you abundant life. Those who are followers of God have a different quality of life than those who do not know the Lord. Even the psalmist said, do not forget his benefits. He said there is a difference in the lives of those who follow the Lord. But does that difference really show up in our lives, in my life and in your life? Is my daily life different because of the resurrection of Christ? Is my daily life different because I am a child of God? My marriage, my relationships, my priorities, my peace, my joy, my love. What difference does Christ really make? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, and we'll focus on really just one verse this morning. Verse 17 answers that question. So let's look at the verse together. Some have suggested the most important verse in the Bible for describing what it means to live the Christian life. And so the verse says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. That is the biography for every child of God. Let me read it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and see, the new has come. So let's look at this just a word or two at a time. He says, if anyone. So this is not something that's going to be true of everyone. What he is going to describe here is only true of a select group of people, namely those people who are in Christ. 
These are things that are true of only those people in Christ and every person who is in Christ. And so when I say that this verse tells us what difference Christ makes in our lives, you see where we get that. You see the basis of that. Because in this verse, he's going to say, these things are true in the lives, the daily lives of those who are Christ followers. Now the next phrase, in Christ. And people have suggested that that might be the most important phrase uh, in the Bible, or maybe even in human language. You may not really appreciate how many times that appears in the New Testament. In some form, we find it 164 times. I'll give you some examples. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ. God forgave you in Christ. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. So what does it mean in Christ? Well, it's interesting that the Bible says both that we are in Christ and that Christ is in us. So which is it? Are we in Christ or is Christ in us? Well, we see in Christ in our focus verse this morning, uh, verse 17, but let me show you some verses where the Bible clearly says that Christ is in us. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus actually said it both ways. He said in John 14.20, I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And then we think of the times where we hear people talk about asking Jesus in their heart. You ever heard that before? That's not a, necessarily a biblical, uh, a biblical way of saying that, uh, but it comes sort of from Ephesians 3.17, which says, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So in some sense, Christ is in us, but in some sense, we are in Christ. So which is it? Jesus in us? Or us in him? Well, both are true, both are important, but the primary way the Bible says this, the dominant way the Bible says this, is that we are in Christ. That is the most common expression in the New Testament describing what it means to be a Christian. The Bible says that we're saved, the Bible says that we're Christian, the Bible says that Christ is in us, but those are the minority references. The primary way that God describes our relationship with the Lord is that we are in Christ. So let's focus on that. Our passage says that we are in Christ. So what does that mean? Well, it emphasizes uh, about four different things that I'm going to share with you. Number one, it reminds us, it emphasizes the profound union between Christ and the believer. We are connected. There is a union here, a special union. We are in Christ. You see, there's a difference between being near my home, my house, or being in my house, right? The people who are near my house, 
I don't even get to pick those people, right? But the people who are in my house, I get to pick them. Most of them would pick them, most of them. There is a deeper relationship that I have with those who are in my house. The Bible says we're not just associated with Christ. We're not just connected with Christ. We're not just near Christ. We are in Christ. It says something about the union. Secondly, it says something about uh, a change in geography. You think about if you go in somewhere, if you move in somewhere, you have changed your location, right? You have departed from somewhere and you have arrived somewhere. You've left somewhere old, you've, you have now arrived somewhere new. And so this says something about geography and we're gonna come back to that. The next thing in Christ tells us is that there is a permanent a permanence to our relationship uh, with Christ. If the Bible just used the word, the preposition with, if, if all the Bible said is that we were with Christ, I think it would mean something different. Because you can be with somebody one day and not with somebody another day, but to be in somebody, to move in, well, that's, there's more permanence in that. I remember when I when I was married, I think I was 26 years old or maybe 27, and I had lived alone for a long time, and I liked it, okay? So I also liked this, uh, this woman, Donna, and I decided to marry her, and she agreed after some, uh, some prodding. And so we were married, and then we went off on a honeymoon, and then we came back, and she moved into my house, and she was there. Well, about three or four days later, I was coming home from, from work, and I got home, and she's there. And it just struck me, she's not ever leaving. <laughs> and that was a good thing, okay? When you... When you are in Christ, it says something about the permanence of this arrangement. And then it also says something about protection. Uh, if you're in Christ, and then that means Christ protects you, right? If you want to get to me, you got to go through Christ. I am in Christ. And so he says here, very plainly in this passage, uh, if anyone is in Christ, as Christians, we are in Christ. But then he says in the next phrase right here in the same verse, he is a new creation. Because we're in Christ, we are new creations. Now we're going to come back to that at length in a moment, uh, but uh, th there's one key word I want you to see, new. What does it mean that we are new creations? He could have just said we're creations. New suggests that there is a change that happens in our lives. Because we're in Christ, we are new, we are changed, new creations, new creations. Now look at the last couple of phrases. He says, the old is past and the new has come. I want you to see the logic of this, of this whole verse. Because really there, there are pieces that one leads to the other. He says that we are in Christ and because we're in Christ, we're a new creation. And because we're a new creation, the old has passed. And because the old has passed, 
the new comes. So we are in Christ, we are a new creation that leads to the old passing and that leads to the new coming. Now let's go back to the original question. What difference does being a follower of Christ, what difference does the resurrection of Christ really make in our lives? And the simple answer is it makes a big difference because we are new creations. Now church, this is important. Listen, the most important thing about you, the most important thing about me, it's not the trappings of our faith, our religion. I've been baptized, I've joined a church, my, my Sundays are spent at the church. There's attendance, faithful attendance. Now, those are important things. If there's a problem there, then there's a problem. But those aren't the most important things. Those are the outward things. What is the most important thing? Listen to Galatians 6.15. Paul says both circumcision and uncircumcision... Those were the outward trappings of their faith in those days. Both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. See, when I talk to people about their faith, uh, they want to talk about, I was baptized, I prayed a prayer, I felt some warm tingles one day. I'm faithful here. I, I serve in this way. And all that's good. Most of that's good. Uh, but that's not the question, right? The question is, are you a new creation? That's what he says here. The most important thing, not the outward trappings, but the most important thing is that we are a new creation. So let's see if we can define that. What do we exactly mean when we say a new creation? Well, let me give you four or five things. We'll go through these pretty quickly. But the first one is this. It is a fulfillment of a biblical promise. I want you to see our verse 517 as a promise from God. See, God promises that whoever calls a upon the name of the Lord, that that person will be saved. And here we see that if anyone is in Christ, see there is a promise that if we call on the Lord, then the Lord works and the Lord applies the blood of Christ in our lives. The Lord redeems us and saves us and rescues us and we are in Christ. There is a promise in this verse. No person has gone too far. If, you're, if you have an interest in Christ, you have not waited too long. There is an invitation here for every person to be in Christ. Now the second thing, what is a new creation? Not only is that a, a biblical promise, the fulfillment of a biblical promise, but it is the result of a work of God. Now people get this confused. Listen, a new creation requires a creator, right? If you are a child of God, that means God has and is recreating you. You have become a new creation. 
that's not something that we do. That's not something that we can accomplish. That's not something that we achieve. You can't create yourself. Someone else has to create you. This is not just about self-improvement. You could probably improve your life. This is not about trying harder. You could probably try harder. This is not about getting a second chance to do things right. None of that. Those are things you could do. If that were the solution to the problem, we wouldn't need Jesus, right? No. He says here that we are a new creation, meaning that God has recreated us. So this really is a reason to take a deep breath and just relax a little bit. The Lord knows you can't fix you. The Lord knows how thoroughly sinful you are. The Lord knows how many promises about sin that you have made and broken in your life. So the Lord is not commanding you to fix you. You are a new creation. You didn't need repair. You needed to be rebuilt, recreated. And only God can do that. A couple of verses that I love here. Ezekiel 36, probably not a verse you're familiar with, but listen. The prophet speaks for the Lord and says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I'm going to skip a few words, but he says, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. He says, I will change you. I will recreate you. I love the way Paul said it in Philippians 1.6 when he says, the one who has started working in us will finish the work, the good work. God will do it. It's not I started it, you finish it. God says, I started it, and I will finish it. We're new creations, which implies we have a creator who recreates us. We should take hope in that. So let's go to the third thing. What does it mean to be a new creation? Well, it's a fulfillment of a, of a promise. It is uh, the work of God. But then number three, it is the transmutation of a cursed life. And uh, you can look to the screen for the spelling. That's not a word that I use very often. In fact, I don't think I've ever used that word. But I chose it on purpose here. Uh, it's a word that goes back to the Middle Ages and the early days of alchemy. You know what alchemy is? And so what they were doing in these days is they were seeking to take elemental lead and through some chemical processes they were going to turn it into elemental gold. Now you can see the advantage if you could figure out how to do that, right? Because lead was pretty much worthless. It was easy to come by. It didn't cost much. It had no value. But if you could turn it into gold, then you would be wealthy beyond your imagination. Now, they failed, okay? Nobody ever turned any lead into gold. Uh, they were able to change what lead looked like. Uh, actually, they weren't able to change what elemental lead looked like. They were able to change some mineral uh, forms of uh, lead. 
But they were to change how it looked, but they couldn't change what it was. The lead remained lit, okay? Transmutation failed. But God, listen church, God is very good at transmutation. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not just that God changes the way we look. It's not just that God changes the outward appearance. But God can take a life cursed by sin and he can turn it, redeem it by the blood of Christ into solid gold. In fact, we're going to uh, celebrate that through the Lord's Supper in a few moments uh, that's what God is good at, right? Transmutation. Taking one substance and turning it into another substance. Taking our cursed life and turning it into a new creation. That's what the Lord, that's what the Lord has done. So don't ever think that somebody is so sinful, so sorry, so cursed that God cannot transmute that lead into gold because he can, because he can. So what is the new creation? What does it mean that we are new creations? It's a fulfillment of a biblical promise. It's the result of the work of God. It's the transmutation of a cursed life. But number four, it is a departure from worldly life. What did the passage say? Uh, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation the old has passed away. It is a departure. We have moved from, from the old life. Does Christ make a difference in our lives? I mean, a real difference? Yes. The life of a genuine child of God will be markedly different than the life of a person who is not a believer in Christ. When Paul talks about the old things passing away, he's talking about real change, observable change, measurable change. When we are in Christ, real change happens. So, if there is no real change, if no old things have passed away, then that person, the person for whom that is true, is not in Christ. Now let me say that again. It's the logic of the verse. You can't disagree with this. If no old things have passed away, then the person is not in Christ. Now, I know people will push back against that, but, but I'm telling you as, their, as your pastor that there is no version of Christianity anywhere in this book that involves a life for which the old things haven't passed away. The Bible is in perfect agreement that, that when we become children of God, we are recreated and old things pass away. If we embrace a faith that does not include change, that does not include living a holy life, then we've embraced a faith that is foreign to God. 
we've embraced a faith that is not the true Christian faith. This verse says, as we've read it a half dozen times, if anyone is in Christ, then he is a new creation and all things have passed. So some people are wondering, and I want to be as practical as I can, okay, pastor, but how many old things have to pass for me to be confident that I'm a child of God? Pastor, are you saying that if I struggle with pornography, that I'm not a child of God? Are you saying, Pastor, that if I sometimes say things that I shouldn't say, that I'm not a child of God? Is that what you're saying? Well, maybe, maybe. But let me be clear. Let me explain. If you look closely at this verse, the verb tense for passed away is a simple past tense, an aorist tense. It refers to a completed action in the past. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the old has passed. It's past. It's gone. In the past, it is past. Okay? It is a completed action. If you are in Christ, the old has already passed away. Already passed away. And we'll talk about what it means for new things to come in a moment. And that's going to have a little bit different tense and we'll handle that. But every genuine child of God, for every genuine child of God, every person in Christ, the old has passed away. Now, I don't mean that you will no longer sin. I don't mean that you will no longer struggle with pornography or you will no longer struggle with foul words. Uh, that's not what I mean. What I do mean is this. Christians hate sin. A Christian hates his own sin. That's the change. What has passed away in me? The love for sin. The desire for sin. That's gone. It's not going. It's gone. It's past. The old, the old desires, priorities, loves, passions. The old is past. The old is past. When someone speaks to me about their sin and they confess their failures and then they tell me how much that they hate that they continue to struggle with that, then while I can't judge anyone's hearts by the authority of Scripture, I believe that I'm standing before someone who is in Christ and a new creation. But when I speak with someone about sin and they laugh at all for they don't have any desire to change, then based upon the word of God, I wonder if anything old has passed away for them. I wonder if they're new creations. I wonder if they're in Christ. Now, the truth is we still live in a sin-cursed world and we carry around a flesh-fallen body. You will sin. And you may sin a lot. But there will be a difference. You are a new creation in Christ. You will love God and love God's glory and love God's word 
and love God's law. I love what the psalmist said in chapter 40, verse 8. He says, I delight to do your will. That's what it means to be in Christ, a new creation, and old things have passed away, and there's no biblical exception to that. So finally, what does it mean to be a, a new creation? It means a pursuit of a God-honoring life. We look back at our verse, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is past, and what? The new has come. Now, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but let's talk about verb tenses one more time. We said the old has passed, that's past tense, completed, it's already happened, it's over. But here it says the new has come, and you don't see this in the CSB Bible that I preach from, but in the original, it uh, is a perfect tense, not a past tense. Uh, in fact, if you read this in the New American Standard Bible, it says old things passed away, They're, it's done, new things have come. It's, it's a perfect tense, which means it happened in the past, but it's still happening in the present. So think about it like this. There's a difference between saying, I came to the church to tell you your house is on fire. What does that mean? I came in the past, 10 minutes ago, 10 days ago, a year ago, I came to the church till your house is on fire. But what if I said, I have come to the church to tell you that your house is on fire? Well, it, it also is in the past in a sense, but if I say I have come to the church, then that means I'm still here telling you that your house is on fire. It's in the past, but it's also in the present. Now, why does that matter to us? Well, here it says the old things have passed in the past away. The new things, though, God is bringing the new things in our life. Day by day by day, the new things come the new things come. If you are in Christ, God is bringing continual change in your life. Uh, the way Paul, the apostle Paul said this is, is that God is forming the character of Christ in you. So what is, what does Christ make in our lives? What is, what, what, what is the new that he's bringing to us? Well, he creates in us an ever-growing desire to pursue a more God-honoring life. We're not perfect. We're, we don't have all new things, but God's working on us. Philippians 1.6, as I quoted, he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. You know, history is divided in A.D. and B.C., or I should say in B.C. and A.D., you know that, roughly means before Christ, after Christ. Uh, the life of a Christian should be divided in a B.C. and an A.D., before Christ and after Christ, or maybe a B.C. and an I.C., before Christ and in Christ. There ought to be a point at which old things have passed, our desires have changed. Our loves, our passions changed. Old things have passed. Still struggle with sin, maybe a lot of sin, but we hate it and we want it to change. 
The old desire, the old celebration of sin has passed. And the new is coming. Day by day by day. There's the before Christ Noel. There is the in Christ Noel. Old things, new things. Broken life cursed with sin, new creation, new creation. So what do we do with this description? This is a description of the Christian life. What do we do with this? Well, number one, we should just thank the Lord that he has recreated us. If it were left up to you to fix you, you would be in terrible shape and getting worse. But when we take the Lord's Supper in a few minutes, let that be a celebration that God has recreated us. The second thing is we need to embrace how the Lord seeks to bring the new into our life and form the character of Christ in our lives. So we used to call this years ago in churches, we called it rededicating your life. And that's probably not the best theological tag for that, but the idea is good. We need to reaffirm the lordship of Christ in our lives. We need to say, I know the old things have passed, but I have not been cooperating and embracing uh, what the Lord is seeking to do to bring new things in my life. And we recommit to doing that. Some need to do that today. And finally, some need to just respond to the good news of the message of Christ. Recognize that you're broken and you have a sin-accursed life and you could never fix it. You could never overcome your sin which will forever separate you from God. But Jesus made a way and what he did on the cross was enough. I heard Melanie Matson, our children's minister, uh, share the gospel with a child this week and she actually had the child say, what Jesus did was enough. I thought, that is so good. We have to recognize that what Jesus did is enough. And then ask God to recreate us. God, you've got to do it. And I surrender my life to you. And I'm going to sin, and I may sin a lot, but I'm going to, I want a new heart, a recreated heart because I want you to bring new things into my life. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed, Father, help us to understand that in Christ we are new creations. The old is past, the new is coming. Help us to embrace all that that means. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.